goes ahead for Osborne. 15 seconds, 22 yards to go. Giannis down on his knees with eight. Scuber, Van Dusen to the end zone, and it is ripped down by Marcel Osborne with two and a half seconds left as the Indiators lead for the first time. Just about, yes. Gavin May is wide open in the back corner of the end zone. Hex hammers have been on point all night. He goes with a forehand, looking to the back corner. It's denied. Mitchell Steiner wins the game for Los Angeles. And the Aviators cling to their flickering playoff hopes with a 24-23 heart-stopping, scintillating, come-from-behind victory. Ruben underneath as the Growlers look to get into the red zone. Michael Tran with the disc. Woo, nice break nice throw inside for Lally. Dunn shoots to the corner. To Milardovic with the big goal! Two seconds remain and the crowd has come alive. That was huge! Welcome back. It's Swing Pass, final weekend of the regular season, going out with a huge bang. Starting off in the West Coast, Oakland needing just one win in their final two road games of the season, heading down to SoCal to face Los Angeles and San Diego this past weekend. Spiders have been good at closing out all season long, but apparently that magic just exists in the Bay in Oakland as the Spiders losing on Friday night to LA in the final two seconds of regulation, only to turn around the next day and get the best game of the season from the San Diego Growlers and their home finale. The Growlers getting the go-ahead score in the final two seconds of what as well. Oakland, again, just being so good all season at coming through in these clutch moments in the fourth quarter and overtime, but could not sustain it in the two games they needed it the most. The Spiders have been eliminated from the postseason. The Aviators sneak in through the back door. They will face the 8-4 and four Summit in Colorado this coming weekend on July 29th. In fact, on Saturday, the entire 2023 opening round of the playoffs will begin on AUDL-TV. We will get to that in a second. I am Adam Ruffner. That is Daniel Cohen. We have a gargantuan Week 13 to recap. We will be spending a lot of time, of course, on the Oakland Spiders two games against the Aviators and the Growlers. But first, let's go through a score rundown from around the league, starting off in the East Division in Boston last Friday night. The Glory at 6-5, and five, needing just one win against the winless Montreal Royale at home in order to clinch their first-ever playoff berth. The Glory put up 18 goals in the first half behind another big, Huck-ridden offensive attack, Simon Carapello, Ray Tetro, Colin Sunday, Rocco Linehan, all getting involved in the scoring action. But Lightning delayed that game at halftime. While that game was being postponed, DC was battling the 5-6 and six Toronto Rush. Toronto needing to win both of their road games on the weekend in order to keep their playoff hopes alive. But DC slamming the door definitively. The Breeze cruised to an early weed and lead, excuse me, and held on for a 10-goal win at home behind some huge layouts from Alexander Fall, Rowan McDonald, and another big defensive effort at home from that Breeze D-line. Elsewhere on Friday night, of course, the aforementioned LA and Oakland game of the week. LA coming away with the last second 24-23 win in Santa Barbara, the first ever pro game played in the West Coast origin center of ultimate a couple of notable aviators including 2022 all-star michael kioi making a homecoming that night the la team just could visibly be feeding off of that home crowd energy they pull out the last second win. they improved to seven and five and then oakland with their season on the line going to san diego the next night facing a growlers team that looked more locked in than they have all season in 2023 travis dunn showing why he's considered one of the best perennial players in this league again and again and again. He comes up with a monster effort. He finds the game-winning assist to who else but the other franchise pillar and cornerstone in Steven Milardovich, just a kind of storybook ending 
for Growler's team that snaps an eight-game losing streak to pull a little bit upwards at the end of their 2023 season. They get some momentum going into 2024. Meanwhile, Spiders backing and bowing out of what was an inside track on their first postseason appearance since 2017. We've talked again and again about how this is a very energy and momentum-filled Oakland franchise, but that couldn't carry them through two of the highest executing games they've faced all season. The Spiders committed just 28 turnovers on the weekend and yet could not pull out a win in either of their matchups. We'll get to more analysis in a second on that one. Want to get through the rest of the slate as quickly as possible. Madison had an away and a home this weekend, and they managed to get wins in both, winning 22-17 to in Friday night in Chicago, and then turning around and cleaning up their season at Bree Stevens Field with an 18-15 to win over the Detroit Mechanics. Madison closing out their season on a slight three-game winning streak. They finished 4-8, and eight, but that defense has certainly returned. They limited their opponents to just 32 goals on the weekend. Another kind of return to form game again for Radicals team that has been inconsistent and has now missed four straight postseasons after winning their 2018 championship. Elsewhere, Atlanta battling to overtime in their second straight matchup in as many weeks against their rivals from Carolina. Hustle leaped out to a 7-3 lead, big at home, gigantic statistical performances from Austin Taylor and Brett Halsmeyer in their final home game of the regular season. But as they always do, Carolina battled back behind some nifty offensive plays in the half field. A huge game from Saul Yannick. However, Hustle were just too big for too much of this game. Halsmeyer closing it out in overtime with some big plays once again. He finishes the night with three assists, six goals, two blocks, 29 of 31 from the field, and 688 total yards. He absolutely looks like an MVP candidate this season for a 10-2 and hustle team that will host the South Division Championship in a couple of weeks. Elsewhere, Philadelphia closes out their season on what else but a win. They've gone through two separate losing streaks, and now they kind of construct their second winning streak, finishing their season with a dub at home 25-22 to over Toronto. The Rush dropping both of their road games, finishing the season 5-7. and seven. Elsewhere in the East Division, New York gets their third perfect regular season in four tries. They finished 12 0 after a 28 18 win over Montreal. The Royale finishing 2023 0 12 in the regular season, just one of two teams this year to finish the calendar with no losses. The other one, of course, being Detroit, who with their loss in Madison on Saturday night, extends their streak to 73 games. They then went on the road on Sunday to face Minnesota in their regular season finale at home, and the windshield took care of business 22-16 to behind another defensive effort at Seafoam Stadium. They got the brake train rolling early. Mechanics looked good on offense for many stretches throughout this weekend, but they could not salvage a win yet again. It is the Fifth straight season without a win for the Detroit franchise. They now have lost 74 in a row going back to 2017. Elsewhere in the league, Seattle and Dallas both picking up wins to salvage some of their seasons. What else am I missing here? I think that's just about it. There is one more game still remaining on the regular season calendar. That will take place tomorrow night in a makeup game between Carolina and Dallas, both those teams. Looking to carry some momentum, Carolina into their first round matchup against Austin, Dallas into their 2024 offseason. Daniel, let's get back to the West Coast. We <laughs> have bashed ourselves over and over the head over the past two plus seasons with this idea of the wild, wild West, and it kind of oh, ebbs man. and flows through these currents. But man, oh man, it happened again on Friday night. It happened again on okay. Saturday. Oakland just brings it out of their divisional rivals this year. Something about that chirpy young team, the way they do the team celebrations, the highlights that come out of them. They got up to that big lead early on the Aviators on Friday night mm -hmm. on the road. They were really connecting on the long ball. There was a couple of Raekwon Atkins shots, a Keenan Lawrence hucker too. Mac Hecht was dialed in from deep all weekend long. But 
Despite some of their more pristine turnover-free efforts, the Spiders team couldn't really fend off the other team's biggest players, and it really impacted them down the stretch, which is where they've sort of placed their identity in this 2023 campaign, and it just felt like the, the magic ran out, right? Like, the, this was the, the sort of energy that this t- team had been riding on all season. This was how they mm-hmm. won. It wasn't pretty. It wasn't how other teams might do it. But damn it, it was the Spiders' way. And then it just, it didn't happen. Like, the other teams simply made bigger plays down the stretch. These more veteran-laden aviators and growlers franchises kind of leaned on more of their franchise pillar players and really overwhelmed the Spiders' in the fourth quarters. Uh, yeah, it was a <laughs> unreal weekend in SoCal cuz Oakland did not play poorly. Like you said, what was it? 28 nope. combined turnovers in the mm-hmm. two games. Like those were two of the better Oakland games from an efficiency for, standpoint that they'd played this season. For context, they had 60 combined in the prior two <laughs> games, but they both won. Like, it's just one of those turnarounds where you think you understand the meta in this league and a team literally more than halves their turnover volume and they lose. Come on. It, they, yeah, it was just, it was brutal. It's brutal for, for a team that like had so much energy really throughout the season. And like, we knew going on the road, obviously they wouldn't have that same like fourth quarter magic as we've been saying that, that they've shown at home all throughout the season, but Still, like the way they they came out firing early against LA and were controlling that game, and it was literally LA's first lead of the game came with two seconds left, and it was just like I I don't know. LA was the energy team throughout that second half, right? It was just kind of like this slow, gradual LA comeback behind their own home crowd, and I think maybe the fact they were playing in Santa Barbara, playing for their playoff lives, like they finally turned it on, and I think they. I don't know exactly where their efficiency ranks in terms of their best games of the season, but it was at least like a top two game. Okay, I'm looking now. Yeah, they had one one 10 turnover game against Portland. They did have a previous 12 turnover game against Seattle, but 12 turnovers against this Oakland team, which again, the week before LA had 27, I believe, in Oakland. Um, so yeah, just like playing their best ultimate when it matters most, they're clearly peaking at the right time. And then San Diego, man, I, they they just took full advantage of like a slightly wounded Oakland team, right? I mean, San Diego played lights out in that first quarter. Their offense in particular yes. did not turn the disc over. They were perfect in the first quarter. I think for the whole game, they maybe only had 10 turnovers as an offense, a few on defense as well. But again, like you said before, Travis Dunn, just a lights out performance from their veterans. And this was... Exactly the way San Diego wanted to end their season, even though it meant that their rivals in LA are now going to the playoffs. But I, I like that maybe there's some uh, some friendliness between those two teams now, at least for, for now. Here are two totally unfair questions for you. One, do you think the better team qualified for the third seed in the West Division? They were actually <laughs> tied in terms of head-to-head point differential after the past two weeks, so... It couldn't yeah. really be any more even, especially given how both of those contests ended. And then B, do you think LA has a shot on the road this weekend against the Colorado team who has not been at full health all season, who now has a week or two to scout ahead to anticipate their opponents? They get these fired up home crowds. Their last matchup was against the reigning champions where they battled with them tough and held a halftime lead against the Empire is there a chance that there can be a three versus two upset in the West and have that wild card team make it all the way to a divisional championship against Salt Lake? Or do you think this is kind of setting up for a Colorado team who we anticipated to be at the top of this West division were it not for a very, very, very pristine season from the shred? So I guess a few, a few different answers in there. I do think the better team won. But I think the best chance either of those teams would have had to beat Colorado would have been Oakland hosting the home playoff game, which would, have, of course, require them beating L.A. and beating San Diego. So I, I don't personally think L.A. has too much of a chance against Colorado. Like, I'd favor Colorado by maybe 
three and a half goals, maybe four or something like that this weekend. I, I do think Colorado is going to come out with one of their stronger rosters this year. And I just think that talent is tough to overcome, but LA, like think about where they were very early in this season, especially on their offense. Like, I mean, they came out with the, the Pavel and Jason Valley led backfields. Eventually Van Dusen came back and then it was just like Van Dusen and Pavel doing their thing. But we talked about like this disconnectedness, of their offense, how it mm-hmm. felt like the cutters were sort of separate from the backfields, but you watch them in that Oakland game. I, like it's oh. such a, it's such a versatile O-line where like everyone's taking shots. Everyone like looks in rhythm at all times. I think Pavel, I, I can't remember what his final completion total was, but it's just gone through such a different shift from where they were early this year. So I, I do attribute that to a lot of their recent success. It's just, the, the fact everyone's getting more comfortable with playing playing together, that chemistry you've seen built throughout the season. So I, I do think the, the better team won and is in the playoffs. It's not to take anything away from Oakland, but I do think just as far as like home away splits, Oakland really benefited from playing at home. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> clearly at this point, right? I mean, how else yeah. can you really assess it after they drop two games on the road with all that momentum they were building in that venue in Oakland. And I wanted to get back to LA's kind of interconnectedness that's been happening the last several weeks. To your point of in the beginning of the season when they started one and three, when the offense was kind of struggling to get going beyond these sort of battery packs of Pavel Giannis and Sean McDougal or Pavel Giannis and Jason Valley, or basically Pavel Giannis, one other player and whoever he could get into rhythm, right? There was, there was so much more fluidity on display on Friday night. And I really think a big, big motor in that this season has been Marcel Osborne, who continues to fly under the radar, both as yeah. a receiver and a distributor. And you could just see in the stretch of that game, I mean, he hauled in the game winner. But just overall, he has, I think, an athleticism and kind of like a physicality that allows him to really operate with a lot of touches and a lot of energy in the middle of that L.A. system. Like, he's a great mid-range shooter, so to speak. He finds yeah. gaps. And he knows how to apply well within them. He had that great continuation throw to Kiyoi in the end zone when they did kind of a, a hyper weave from the, the start of their yeah. own end zone into the other end zone where it took like six passes, but it was kind of almost sideline to sideline. And they sort of ratcheted to the right and then found Marcel in the middle of the field and he kind of floated it towards the left third of the field for Kiyoi to go get. That kind of fluidity, I think, is what we saw a lot from Chicago last year, right? It was... Pavel Giannis yeah. and Kaminsky setting the table for the rest of the offense to go downfield and attack for the Ross Barker, Jeff Weiss, Joe Weitz to go downfield and make plays. And I think you're seeing that more from the aviators. You're seeing more from Van Dusen, who had the best game of his season. I don't think we've been talking enough about him. I feel like he's been such another piece that kind of fills into a lot of different roles with his increased mobility now entering his third season in the league. I think you saw, you know, another just MVP level performance, quite frankly, from Sean McDougal, who just continues to be everywhere for this team whenever they need him, whenever they need a statement play, whenever they need to go deep to somebody in single coverage and say, we got this goal right now, it continues to be him. I mean, for as much as Pavel has sort of changed the culture, I still think this team's MVP has pretty pretty clearly been McDougal the past several weeks. He's just everywhere, man. He's everywhere despite Pavel being behind him in the postgame interview much to McDougal's chagrin you know it's just been McDougal kind of pushing at the face of this and again it, it it's getting to that point with LA too where it's hard to reference one player without invoking a few others ever Shapiro continues, continues yeah. to be a big playmaker and kind of a finisher that this team has lacked for a few seasons obviously McDougal returning to the lineup this year and being one of the league leaders and goals is certainly a wide receiver one type, but then it kind of allows Shapiro to take more advantage of a different matchup as opposed to drawing the other team's best defender as he was last year in his rookie season before he got hurt. I just think he's been so good downfield. There's a, there's, there's a, there's, you know, it's no secret. There, there's a little bit of mojo to this LA team, right? Like Oakland has been playing that way. They are a very talkative team. And they are very physical, particularly on defense. And you could see L.A. struggling a little bit early with how to engage with that level of physicality. And I thought that it actually worked out to the Spiders' deficit in the second half. It felt like it charged up the Aviators. 
they were able to, I think, adjust their play to get out of those stickier situations that the physicality from Oakland's defenders were bringing. You could see LA ratcheting up a bit more of their tempo and just looking to engage the open field a bit more. And that just allowed for Pavel and Van Dusen to pick apart the defense even more. And again, it just, it was like Oakland was playing well, but in both matchups, they really struggled to keep touches away from the opposing team's stars. I mean, in the mm-hmm. second half, those stars were just running downhill at the Spiders' defense. And you could just see in both of those game-winning drives for the opposition against Oakland, they didn't have answers. Like, they were kind of right. goals going away from them. They weren't even really challenging them, which is odd given how much Oakland had been challenging Oakland at home the previous weekend in the fourth quarter, as we said. Mm-hmm. Despite their, their sloppiness, the Spiders were just making play after play after play to close out that game. That didn't happen on Friday night. That didn't quite happen on Saturday night. It was it was weird. Yeah. On Saturday night, the Spiders missed probably half a dozen top 10 layouts. Like, they were this close. <laughs> There's so many discs. But, again, it was just, like, that that little bit of extra oomph that they've had all season to make those plays just wasn't there in Week 13. I, I'm still I, – I don't know how to, like, dissect it around, aside from that. It's, like – Sometimes the NBA just distills down to like you made shots or you missed them. That's kind of how yeah. it felt about some of these spiders looks, particularly in their hucks against San Diego. They they took them. They make those plays a lot. They didn't on Saturday night. And that was the ball game. It's still just so hard to critique anything the Spiders did wrong this weekend because, like, they didn't play bad. Like, you're just watching these games and you're like, okay, both these teams are really good. And the Spiders, it was just interesting the the game flow differences and similarities in their two games where on Friday night the Spiders had their early lead and then it was L.A. slowly coming back and then eventually overtaking them. But with San Diego, it was like San Diego just came out firing and really built – a strong lead of their own, but then it was Oakland slowly crawling back and they did just slowly kind of chip away at that lead. And then the growlers just said, no, I guess Travis Dunn said no. Uh, and threw the game winner to Steven Lardovich. And I, I just feel like, you know, second game of a double header, like it was just like the most draining thing to see. And I'm sure to experience for the spiders, the way they lost both those games in like kind of contrasting ways. Like the spiders never led, against San Diego, but they did tie it up multiple times in the second half and they just, they couldn't close it out. Also, I do want to throw out, you were mentioning like some of the stars on LA, Lucas Ambrose. I, we didn't oh, mention geez. him yet, yeah, but you. like who else but Lucas Ambrose to get the peel off block to get that last possession for LA that led to the game winning goal. Couldn't have scripted it better, right? I mean, it was just like, it was a bit of a floaty hook. He peels off. Skies, everyone, like his timing on his jumps is just some of the best I've ever seen because he's not a big guy. He's not a big guy, but he dominates in the deep space. He's so fun to watch. I mean, it, it's kind of ironic, right, that for all of the layout blocks that dude has assembled the season, you know, for all of the total blocks, it may come down to two of his less aesthetically pleasing ones of the season to lock up both maybe the defensive player of the year and Rookie of the Year. We'll see how he does in Colorado. That was the game, though, if you remember, that ignited yeah. the whole season. He coming out party. He had, what, one block in his first three games or something, and then he had that five-block performance at altitude against the Summit. That A lot of them on Quinn block. Finer, too. He was just, like, yeah. beating Quinn yeah. Finer up in the and out, space. And Alex Atkins. They were rotating Atkins, Atkins deep, too. and Ambrose got him on the backside on one. He was just collecting that night. I mean, again, he had five blocks in that game. He came into the that game, I believe, with one or two. Like, it was just – it completely yeah. changed the scope of who this player was and just set him on this war path for the rest of the season where he effectively clinched them a playoff berth at the end of this game in the final game of the regular season. Uh, I don't know. It just, it it felt a bit almost storybook for the Aviators, despite how much it was a little bit of backing into the playoffs. Like it felt, given how they lost that game the weekend before, that this was a good victory, but still having it be in the Growlers' hands to decide their playoff fates. I don't know. It's going to be interesting to see how LA responds to this opportunity. They have been a team that you give them a little bit and they will take it. That has consistently been 
a trademark of Giannis franchises for seasons and seasons and seasons. Like that's kind of how yeah. Chicago started to build its, its successes was at the margins. And you can see the aviators taking advantage of Oakland on Friday in those settings. And so maybe they can continue to carry that forward. Again, they look like a different team in the second half. They continue to get a little bit healthier. Okay. Another unfair question in the long term, is this loss better for Oakland? Do you think that had they just no. won one game or won both, that it's just a little too much too early for them? Do you think that that's setting them up maybe for a little bit of long-term stunting? Do you think this is a team that needs to have a little bit more motivation to improve some of the ways in which they make mistakes? I'm just, this is an open-ended question. Like, yeah, yeah, sure. know, open book, like whatever. I, I, I just, I, I'm honestly curious because I could see it going both ways. Like they are so confident Maybe they did get that home game. Maybe they do pull off the miraculous and get a second win in Oakland against Colorado. That just feels so much up here now, though, given the reality of this situation, right? And it's sort of like, yeah, maybe this was a little bit good for a Spiders team that arrived so much sooner than I think anyone expected. I mean, it was even what their coaching staff was starting to talk about towards the end of the season, where it was like, this is beyond our game plan. This is just them going out there and playing this well, right? Like that is fantastic. Yeah. It's not necessarily sustainable and it's not necessarily how you get to the level of where Salt Lake is at this season, right? Like I think there needs to be still more development there as far as just getting reps, getting big game reps. Obviously they would have benefited a ton from getting a postseason rep, but I don't know. I, I feel like, it, it's That's sort of what that. I go back to, though. Like the big game rep, like yeah, postseason yeah. is as big a game of a rep as you can get, right? And I, I do think it's like yeah. we're clearly in a new era for the Spiders, right? Like they haven't made the playoffs since 2017. I do think this would have been a very nice way for them to kind of solidify the fact that, like, okay, they're here to stay in the West Division. They've got all these guys that are like 20 years old or younger. Uh, and you know, I, I think it, it was just like an opportunity for them to really, I mean, they, and they did prove themselves in, in their first season with this iteration of the roster. I'm hoping the buy-in is there long-term, but I guess to answer your initial question, I, what was it that if they were, if it was good that they lost the games? No, I don't think, I don't think they wanted to lose this. <laughs> I think it would, it would have been better. I tried they, to be a little bit more, more nuanced than is losing good for Oakland. But uh, yeah, my, knee, my knee jerk reaction I, was no, it wasn't good. But I, I, think I, get, other, I understand the argument. I think the other point working against the window being closed on this season is the fact that the future is so uncertain and particularly in a West division that might be the youngest in the entire league. You have teams like San Diego, Seattle, and Portland who were a little bit more cellar dwellers this year, but who knows how they look next season or a season from now. Seattle has so much of Seattle a Seattle finished strong. Seattle finished good strong. Over the past two that weeks. offense is not runs. to be messed with. Garrett Martin finishes the season as one of the best scorers in the league. Obviously, the rest of the offense with Khalif El Salam, Zeppelin Ronig, Jack Brown, they're all young and still continuing to develop into their primes. It's it's a team with a lot of upside, and I'm saying that how much is there a gap between Oakland and that Cascades franchise that took the Spiders to overtime in their second game in as many right. days in the first week of the season? How different does Oakland's season look if they lose that game? How different does Seattle's season look? You know, it's just it, it, this might have been their window. This might have been the chance to take advantage of Colorado losing four regular season game, which, which might not happen anytime in the near future again. Right. And, you know, like getting a chance to host a playoff game, that might not be something that comes along anytime soon. I really think that it'll be continually harder and harder to earn. So, you know, to defeat my own uh, hypothetical whimsy about if it's better if spiders lost both games and miss playoffs, uh, that's kind of the end of that thought train. Um, <laughs> Wait, I have again, a question for you before we yeah. totally move out of the, the West Division. For LA, going back to LA real quick, are we? Are you at all upset with Marcel Osborne for stealing that last goal from Michael Keoy despite Keoy playing in front of the high school that he works well, at? Well, look, look, Marcel Osborne is from Santa Barbara as well. They're both UCSB Black Tide graduates. So... 
it's not as if it was like Pavel coming off of the backside and some sure, kind of, sure, sure. you know, mama bird glory or something, some Colorado yeah. sleeper agent working for LA. Uh, I, yeah, I mean, given the night that Kiyoi was having and given what that <laughs> moment probably would have been if he reeled it in, I mean, he would have been able I, to... I, I, still, I still want someone to there. have such like a highlight play or have such a moment like that where it is the guy in the moment in front of his home crowd if they yeah. just like start eating the disc. Like that would have been, that would have been, I think, the moment to seal it. Like he just gets to take that disc and make it a part of himself at that point. Yeah. But, yeah. No, I mean, Kioi was fantastic. You know, I, I thought it was the game he needed to have all season. I thought he was a piece that they were losing when they were relying too much on these kind of sell offensive dynamics that weren't integrating mm -hmm. the whole unit. You know, he was so good yeah. for them last year. That's why I represented the team at All-Star Weekend. And as he showed on Saturday, he's still got that extra gear. He might have to take some extra breaths on the sideline after each point in order to get back up to speed. But he was running free against a young, fired-up Oakland defense who was giving that unit of LA's offense troubles just the week before. I thought it was a really good response from the Aviators. I was worried about their offense after how frustrated they looked in Oakland just a few days yeah. prior. So. For them to come out and put up 24 in regulation and look like that for so much of the game, I mean, hats off to L.A. You know, it it bodes really well for how they might adapt going and facing Colorado. But that is going to be one of the toughest first-round matchups. And I guess this is probably a good way to segue over to what we'll finish the back of this episode talking about. We will, of course, be doing an in-depth preview on Thursday's podcast as we head into the opening round of the 2023 playoffs. If you have any questions or want details on the upcoming schedule, you can go to AUDL.com, lays out the entire playoff schedule going all the way up through championship weekend, which is once again held in Minnesota on August 25th and 26th at TCO Stadium. That is the off-season training facility of the Minnesota Vikings. It is absolutely pristine venue space. If you have an opportunity to go see the four best teams in the league, you absolutely should. But we've still got 12 remaining We've got divisional round this weekend, an off week, and then in two weeks, we will have divisional championship weekend. Daniel, who are the teams that you think are peaking right now? I feel like we can just take New York and put them in a rocket and fire them off into another dimension for this segment because yeah. we've talked about New York all season. They're the best team in the league. 20, Nothing what new. is it now? Six in a row? Seven in a row? 27, I think. Yeah, 27, 15 last year, 12 this year. The only time they've lost really a game in the past two-ish years was in the 2021 championship game. They're peaking. The Empire are peaking. Like, when are they not? Okay, take them, throw them up there. Of the other 11 teams, who is really peaking heading into the 2022 postseason? Is it a team like DC who has all these impressive results against non-New York teams and really does seem to have an ability to close and put their foot completely on the gas against weaker competition. Has that built them up? We talked about Colorado finally getting back to health, getting this opportunity now to host a playoff game. Similar to LA, it's interesting that both these first-round matchups in the West Division kind of had their playoff fates out of their hands, given where Oakland was situated going into Week 13. And now all of a yeah. sudden, both of them kind of get the results that they were hoping for, Aviators <laughs> making it into right. the postseason, and Colorado getting to host a playoff game. I think that this really sets up the Summit as a dark horse contender. We talked about them being maybe the second best team in terms of pure talent heading into 2023. They've had their ups and downs. They've had their inconsistencies, particularly in offense. This is not a team that is high-flying as it was a season ago, and yet... Colorado, man, like they're one of those blue blood regions. And, you know, they won club last year. They have all the talent in the world. They have now a favorable home matchup. It feels like it could be them. Where where do you kind of go for who you like in this opening round? Obviously, the four division champions from the regular season in Atlanta, Salt Lake, New York, and Minnesota have all been surging of late, but of these kind of opening round contenders, who could possibly mm -hmm. win two playoff games and make it to championship weekend? Or who do you like as a possible challenger going into divisional championships? Yeah, it's interesting because you think of peaking at the right time and I'm thinking like performance wise, I think DC and Boston, like 
throughout the season, I think they've just gotten better and better. Like DC, Mm -hmm. I was kind of meh on for most of the year until maybe the last month or so, but they've really put together like the right string of dominant wins to close out the year. And I think O-line, D-line, like everything efficiency-wise has just been going up for DC. And that's exactly what you want because they are who a lot of us thought were the team that had the best chance of taking down New York this year, which I still think is very much in play. Boston, mm-hmm. on the other hand, I, I think they, they've just like completely reversed what I've thought about their franchise, especially coming into the year. And even though like coming into the year, they weren't getting like that impressive of wins, but they did start strong and they were taking down like the bottom of the East Division teams. But like even even in game of the week against DC, like they've just been playing really good ultimate recently. And they just put up 18 against Montreal in a single half of ultimate. Like they they seem to have all the right rotations right now. Rocco Linehan, I feel like is is like the right versatile piece they've needed, both in terms of their D-line counterattack, but also the ability to shift over to offense. I really like their handler core. I just think they have a really nice arsenal of throwers. So DC and Boston to me is like the most enticing kind of hot team versus hot team first round matchup. Colorado though is interesting to me because it's like, I don't think they've hit their ceiling yet. I don't think we've seen the best Colorado can be. I don't think think we've seen anything close. Yeah. I I don't don't think they're going to have a really good roster. Right. Like, I I don't know if if Stoughton and and Landisman are going to be back in the lineup, but like those two names right there, Landisman was incredible for the Colorado O-line last year. Just like so consistent, also has big game experience. And Stoughton, of course, dominated in the club scene as well as college. And like the last last weekend he was active for them in the Bay, he tore up Salt Lake and Oakland in the back to back. He was one of the best players. We talked a lot about Quinn Finer and Alex Atkins and their absolutely human efforts Cody Spicer too it was Calvin Stoughton right there man he might have the quickest first step as a receiver in this league like he is lightning out there yeah and they barely had him they barely had him at home in particular yeah, at LA like a few games and I just think there's such a like in my mind I kind of I kind of split this question into like like peaking at the right time versus highest ceiling and I also think Carolina is kind of in the same conversation with Colorado like I mean, I guess we saw we saw what the best version of Carolina could be when they went on the road to D.C. Joe White had like 13 scores and however many hundreds of yards of offense. And like that Carolina team is going to be incredibly dangerous if they are at full strength. We just haven't seen them like that in a few weeks. And I have similar concerns as I do with Colorado. Same with Carolina of just like the reps that that top end roster has gotten together. It just hasn't been much, but those are the two teams I circle as like most likely to make a run at this point and get to championship weekend. But the hottest teams right now, I would say it's like DC, Boston and LA central division teams, whatever. I don't know. Chicago has been backpedaling. Indy just had a couple very tight wins over Pittsburgh to close out the season following their, their blowout loss to Minnesota. So Still skeptical about either one of those to make its championship weekend. But, you know, we don't fully trust Minnesota either. So I'm sure those games are still going to be competitive and good to watch. I just like Minnesota because, what, they've won now, I think, 11 of 12 at home dating back to last season. Like, this is one of the best home teams. They're, They're good motivated. Home they play defense incredibly well at Seafoam. And they just have an advantage in that particular stadium. And being one game away from championship weekend it feels like that almost overcomes any of my other worries against either Chicago or India. I really think right. whoever wins the opening round in the central is going to have maybe the toughest task in terms of just like mitigating variables that you have to manage going into that matchup in Minnesota. There's just going to be so much to keep track of. I think as the windshield just rotate Similar to, uh, I think, New York, like almost two full sets of defensive starters at you and just kind of try right. to take your legs away and let that home crowd slowly build into what they usually establish as a dominating break train where they blow the game wide open somewhere in the second quarter somewhere. Like that has been the Minnesota bread and butter the past two seasons, and I just see it kind of happening again. So on kind of the flip side of what you were talking about, about D.C. and Boston kind of being hot be hot, Ironically enough, the South Division has one of the more 
lukewarm leftovers feeling matchups yeah. between two teams who we entered this season thinking of as championship contenders in Carolina and Austin. But both have submitted, especially in the last season, kind of eh, resumes. For Austin, they get to a nine-win season once again, but none of them have come against a playoff team. For Carolina, it feels like it's been almost an entire season since they got that very good win in D.C. on that Friday night in week six. That was half a season ago. So what are the Flyers going to be bringing after two straight losses to Atlanta where they kind of got dusted up a bit? What is Austin going to bring against a a Flyers team who has some quality wins and a soul squad that doesn't have anything to show except for eight wins against Houston and Dallas and one against San Diego? That is the long and short of the Austin Souls winning (laughs) heritage. But... Both of these teams are still so stacked with talent. Do you think that either of them can have that kind of firecracker potential of just igniting and going? Do you think that either of these teams have it? Because, you know, I think back to Carolina, obviously, in 2021. They enter the postseason with four losses. They come out of the final regular season with that incredible uh, classic of a game in D.C. against the Breeze, where the Breeze claw out the win in overtime kind of send the Flyers a little bit into a weird headspace, but Flyers bounced right back, went back to D.C. for the very next game in the opening round of those 2021 playoffs and beat the Breeze at home. Is is Do you see Carolina and Austin in 2023 having that kind of mental fortitude? Do you see these teams being able to get any kind of momentum heading into Atlanta, or does Atlanta look like a clear favorite right now? I... I I think given how they're playing, Atlanta looks like a pretty clear favorite, particularly given yeah. that they just won all of their home games during the regular season calendar. They went 6-0 and at Silverback Stadium this year, so they have that energy there. But I don't know. I still, I still feel like Austin and Carolina are confident enough in their matchups with the hustle that either team is going to be something that Atlanta has to game for very seriously. Yeah, I I mean, like, we haven't seen Austin beat either of these teams this year, so it's just hard to trust Austin to both win at home against Carolina and then go to Atlanta and win that game as well. So, like, but Carolina's had such a different year this year than they had in 2021. Like, I know they've, they've had a handful of losses both seasons, but the way they've had the losses this year has just kind of been, like, weird roster inconsistencies, right? Where it felt like every single loss they had in 2021 was always like building towards a playoff run. And they were against like really good teams and they were really close game. Like I weren't all four of their losses, one goal losses that year yes. too. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. yeah. So I, like, I was going to, I was going to build that into the back half of why Carolina might be able to, and like, yeah. You know, so it's they just, lost, it's they lost pretty decisively in Carolina to Atlanta, just, you know, 10 days ago or whatever it was now. Like right. that was, that was like the biggest win ever for the hustle over the Flyers. It, it's they won the season series three to one against Carolina. We thought that this would be a disadvantageous schedule for Atlanta, given that they had a road game in New York this year, and yet yeah. they come out looking like the most battle-tested team in the division and with the best record. So, in Atlanta, I just feel like they've kind of had this this slow build of of chemistry and roster consistency throughout the season, where you just kind of you know what you're getting more with them at this point than we do with Carolina. I mean, I'm really curious to see what these playoff rosters look like. I imagine we're going to see a Carolina roster that has to be somewhat close to what we saw their peak roster looking like against DC earlier this season. But yeah, it remains to be seen. I do think Austin has, of course, the benefit of playing at home. And that is a team that has like some of the best roster consistency in the entire league. So it's going to be a pretty interesting contrast of, just like season storylines to this point in the first round of the playoffs in the South. And I think it's been interesting that for a Flyers team that has traditionally won this rivalry throughout the years, you know, I think one of the fundamental points has been Carolina has always kind of been able to say, like, if we were to draft these teams kind of in a fantasy format, we would have a lot of the top draft picks on our roster. 2023, I don't know if that's the case anymore. I think anytime Brett Halsmeyer is out there, he's the best offensive player or the best player in the field. And then defensively for Atlanta, they've got this kid named Justin Burnett, who people might have heard of at this point. Callahan winner, second in the league in blocks. Like 
he's just playing out of his mind this year in his second year, his first full season. He didn't join Atlanta until midway through the 2022 season. So Burnett is still kind of in his almost like first full professional season and looks like a lights out defender who continues to make big ignition plays that just get this hustle counterattack going. You know, these aren't the players that Atlanta has always had in this matchup. I mean, they've gotten wins. They've been there, obviously, against Carolina for years. They always get up in this matchup. But it feels like they now have some star performers that kind of really tilt the scales in their favor. I mean, they were just going to Hallsmeyer to close out that game in overtime. They were just kind of like isolating it. Four goals, I think. Did yeah. he? They were all yeah, and by right. like any way imaginable, he had one in double coverage. <laughs> right. Where Terrence Mitchell made a terrific play on uh, it, so just high pointing it a little bit higher on an absolute mm. rocket of a shot from Draco. And then after that, yeah, it was two like front corner sideline cuts right, from right. the Hulk of Halsmeyer. You know, he's he's had one of the most impressive regular seasons ever. I. I think I was a little slow given what he was doing against some of the lesser opponents that they were facing in the beginning of the season, but the way he's closed this year out, I mean, man, oh man, I thought he was going to start. I, I had a little bit of a moment in the matchup two weeks ago in the first half when Carolina was looking good. And I think Halsmeyer might've dropped a disc and it looked like he might start to turtle a little bit. And it was like the complete opposite from that moment. He just went, absolutely Richter the rest of that game carried it over into this just monster performance in week 13 again as I started the episode saying he looks like a true MVP candidate and the other thing is the way he now can fill up as a volume distributor he's gotten a couple games now where he's got over 40 plus completions like he did two weeks yeah. ago the past weekend he had 30 like, like a his ability to times. fill in wherever I mean this is an Atlanta offense without their most efficient piece and Matt Smith available this weekend and it didn't really look like they missed him that much and that's to take nothing away from Smith and only to give props to how this hustle team is really tuned up right now again just all the credit in the world to first year coach for them Tubo Benson Jaja um, he's he's been just absolutely what they need. It just feels like everything is dialed up just a little bit more. Uh, he's definitely got to be considered, I think, at this point for coach of the year, and especially just given the the way in which they've sort of summited a South Division that we thought was going to be a lot hairier than they've kind of dispatched to their opponents, you know, sweeping Austin yeah. and then going 3-1 against Carolina. That's 5-1 and one against the other two playoff teams in the South. Other than New York, no other divisional team has that kind of overall dominance i feel like well salt lake salt lake does i i yeah, take that back take that back let's get to the west too because i want to talk about salt lake because we didn't quite talk about them do you feel like them losing to new york in their final regular season game similar to colorado was beneficial for them do you think that given that they're 11 and 0 during the rest of the season that adds to a little bit of the momentum that they needed a little bit of a drive it reminds me a little bit of 2018 madison when they had that rough loss in the middle of the season to Carolina, Jack mm. Williams, Jacob Fairfax, Jonathan Nethercutt Nethercut. came into Bree Stevens and just tore the roof off the place, beat Madison <laughs> worse than they had ever been beaten before. And it really, I think dialed in the radicals for that championship push in the back half of the season. I see a similar, I think discipline in this Bryce Merrill led Salt Lake team where they they need that kind of motivation. Maybe they are kind of who I had in my head when I was talking about Oakland motivating off of a loss. Maybe it's not that kind of a loss. Maybe it's more like this one yeah. for Salt Lake against the Empire. What I guess, where where do you put Salt Lake? Because, you know, they, they are going to be entering the West Division Championship game that they will be hosting with an L in their most recent rearview mirror example. So is that something for them to build on? Like, where do you see them kind of slotting yeah. in, in this larger playoff picture? I, I I think I agree with you. I do think the loss was was kind of good. Good for them to like remember what it was like to lose, maybe. Even though like obviously their confidence would have been through the roof if they did beat New York and were coming into the West Division playoffs having knocked off the best team in league history for the first time in, you know, two seasons. But I do think Salt Lake is is a team that just like needs this like these battle tested, you know, tight fights that are that are like from start to finish just like wire to wire games and I think they got that from New York and I I do think that primes them well it almost felt like it didn't matter so much what happened in that game like if they 
did beat New York. I, like I said, I think confidence wise and just the fact that they played that well against the best team in the league, that that would be really good for them. But on the flip side, losing that game, it just it, it probably makes them hungrier to like prove themselves as like, OK, we want and we want to see this team again in the championship. Right. So I do think I, like, I, it, yeah, one of my, I was just going to add to that, like one of my endearing memories in the closing moments of that game was a field mic picking up the Empire players saying, take care of the playoffs, see you in the playoffs, like kind of advising yeah. Salt Lake, like we want round two with you too. And it's like, yeah, I really think Shredder, I mean, Jordan Kerr was posting selfies in the gym by like 6 a.m. the next morning after they had <laughs> lost. Like, yeah. It Back is to very clear that they have put this squarely in their sights, this motivation and locker room material going into the postseason. For sure. Yeah, no, I think I, I'm sure they're still a super confident team. And I, I'm kind of glad that they got somewhat of a heat check at some point this season. Because last year, you know, it was those games against Colorado. They just like could never get past, which has just felt very different this year, considering they did beat Colorado in both those games. I am expecting an exciting Colorado Salt Lake rematch in the West Division Finals. So, And I, that is not going to be an easy game for Salt Lake. Because what were both those games one-goal wins? They were, right, yeah. this year against Colorado? Yep. Yeah. And it's like presumably we're, we're, we're expecting a top end Colorado roster going to Salt Lake. Uh, can't wait. We got to get through this first round. Wait, yeah, I was going to say, not so fast. LA breaks. just basically came back from the dead and they have are very motivated. I know, I know. We'll get to it in the preview episode in just a couple of days. That'll wrap it up here for the week 13 recap. Final weekend of the regular season as we barrel forward towards the playoffs. It is going to be one hell of a set of games coming up over the next several weeks. Again, all the action gets started this Saturday, July 29th on AUDL TV. You can tune in live for each of the first four divisional round games. We will take a week off in the first weekend of August, but then playoffs will return that second weekend for the divisional championship round. Again, all leading down the road towards championship weekend in Minnesota on August 25th and 26th. Daniel and I will be here all along the way, hyping up all of the action. This is where the rubber meets the road. And I feel like, honestly, a little bit where the true season begins. This is gonna be, again, just so thrilling to participate in. We hope you will stick around with us for the ride. We will be talking to you soon. Bye now.